Pop 48, Pink Floyd's Animals. Welcome back to Pop. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts here today, and today we're doing something very special. Today we're looking at some of our favorite albums from our record shelf, and today we're looking at Pink Floyd's Animals. Today on the show, we will play some interviews with the band members throughout the discussion. Let's kick it off with a commercial for the album, followed by Roger Waters. David Gilmore on guitar, Nick Mason on drums, Richard Wright on keyboards, and Roger Waters on bass guitar. This is the music of Pink Floyd. Get it at the very best record store on Aviation, Artesia Boulevards, and Redondo Beach. Pink Floyd, so unique, so hot, so musically sound that you won't believe your ears. Columbia Records and Tapes brings you one of the greatest LPs released this year. Up animals on Columbia Records and Tapes, the very best record store on Artesia and Aviation Boulevards in Redondo Beach, where you can get animals on record and tape. Roger Waters explains the Floyd's new album, Animals. The front cover of Animals features a picture of Battersea Power Station here in London, with a pig flying between the enormous chimneys. So why Battersea? I think it's a very I think it's a very nice building. It's very doomy and inhuman. It's a very doomy picture as well, isn't it? Yes. Very sort of depressing, oppressive. Yes. Is that the the general atmosphere that you wanted to convey for the album, or was it just a... Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I, quite, I quite like the very crude symbolism of... Battersea Power Station, anyway. I like the... You know, I like the full phallic towers and the idea of power. I find rather appealing in a strange way. But why the pig between the... Uh, phalluses? Um... Well, that came up because of that little song about, you know, it's the, that's that's the flaw, you know, the um, the pig, the flying pig. I don't know. I, I've never tried to put it all into words, really. The flying pig is the symbol of hope. The opening sequence of the album, the, the acoustic bit, is, for you, um, almost a rare love song. Yes, this is true. That's why I, I've written a lot of love songs. Yes, but this is, they tend not to find their way onto... And there was a certain amount of um, doubt as to whether that one was going to find its way onto this album. But I thought it was very necessary. 
Otherwise, the album would have just been a kind of scream, you know, of rage. And today we have Mr. Michael Bagford joining us. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the show, sir. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good today. Just ready to talk about one of my favorite albums. I'm glad that you wanted to talk about it. I haven't really seen you as kind of a Pink Floyd person, or I haven't really heard you mention Pink Floyd in any of your podcasts. So I was kind of wondering, like, what's your experience with Pink Floyd? How do you kind of rate them as a band, and how did you get into them? Wow, that's a that's a lot, right? <laughs> that's a lot to unpack. If we're all lucky, we have someone who, like, showed us the way musically right for a lot of people it might be an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or an older brother in this case it was my uncle gary and he was into like every bit of good music that came out of the 60s and the 70s he seemed to find it first he was always there right yeah like when the kinks came out he was right there when the who came out he was right there and so on and so forth and i remember him having the psychedelic 60s albums from Pink Floyd and the only real basis that I had for appreciating them is that at times there was Beatle type stuff in there but more importantly they would record at Abbey Road right yeah somehow or another they were attached to the Beatles in my mind whether that was valid or not and every once in a while you'll read things where the Beatles were in this studio recording this but at the same time Pink Floyd was over here doing that so it must have been an amazing scene I mean you think about all the acts that were recording at the same time over there just amazing I bet it was a blast recording there I mean you never know who you'd run into yeah absolutely we've chosen this album today actually you picked this album what does this album mean to you it's one of those albums like I have to kind of listen to it all the way through. It's like a really great listening experience. And it's one of those albums that hasn't got tarnished by radio play because as great as albums are Dark Side of the Moon and Wish You Were Here and The Wall, they've been played to death by FM Rock Radio. And I'm not sure if I could really get into Pink Floyd if my experience was just hearing rock radio all the time. And there's nothing really on here that's like the single, right? There's no, there's nothing that's really made for radio, would you say? I would say that. Um, I mean, if you would have put Pigs on the Wing and maybe kind of stuck that together, maybe it might have worked. But everything else is like a 17-minute long song, a 11-and-a-half-minute song, and another 11-minute song. It's kind of hard to kind of just kind of digest that for radio. Like, So you don't really hear animals on the radio very often well where i grew up this album was played a lot on the radio you maybe didn't get a whole like 17 minute song but you got parts of things and this album became an fm staple where i grew up and you know you asked my experience of pink floyd as the 70s went on and pink floyd became this huge entity as far as fm radio and just great street cred amongst the the cool people right and you had everything from the fantastic dark side of the moon and wish you were here and all that stuff pink floyd had really entered into this new stage but they seem to reinvent themselves in some ways if if a person really investigates pink floyd they actually reinvent themselves almost every album on some level would you agree with that I would agree with that. 
I mean, Animals is a different album than Wish You Were Here was, even though it kind of does tackle the same themes. And actually, some of the songs from Animals were done around the same time period that Wish You Were Here was created. Mm-hmm. Fact, for their 1974 European tour for Dark Side of the Moon, the second half of the show, they did Dark Side of the Moon all the way through and ended with Echoes. But for the first half, um, they had three new songs, two of which were You Gotta Be Crazy, Raving and Drooling, and Shine On You Crazy Diamond. Mm-hmm. Now, you, You've Got To Be Crazy later became Dogs. different type of arrangement um some of the elements were still there there's um a recording of you gotta be crazy on the wish you were here immersion edition and you can hear the bare bones of dogs in there but you'll notice that david gilmore is singing really fast and it's like he's trying to pack all these words in so it sounds kind of like a roger waters list type song because i know roger waters likes to do songs where it sounds like a list of items yeah Almost a stream of consciousness shopping list kind of a thing. <laughs> he's he's reading the ingredients. I mean, that that actually could be a cool Pink Floyd song where you just read the ingredients of any package. I'm surprised your... he hasn't done that yet. Yeah, that would be fun. And here's Roger Waters talking about the tone of Animals and the track Raving and Drooling. It is a very violent album. And it's, you know, when you're doing... And that... They're quite violent songs, and so I think that's why the music is 
bit punchier than our normal stuff is. I've had that. I've had the idea of animals in the back of my mind for many years. Many years. Well, it's a kind of old chestnut, really, isn't it? Uh, just sometime during the middle of the recording, it seemed like the right thing to tie it all together. And it gave me the lead to rewrite the lyrics to sheep, raving and drooling and turn it into sheep. Because raving and drooling was just another shout, but it was a rather incoherent shout of abuse. In a way that pigs is a fairly, well, pigs is a kind of fairly um, compassionate scream of abuse, if you can scream abuse in a compassionate way, just by virtue of the last lines. Here's a bit of raving and drooling live. So this album was recorded in April through December of 1976, and they're coming off of Dark Side of the Moon, one of the biggest albums of all time, and, you know, Wish You Were Here, and the band was starting to fracture. Is that a fair thing to say? I guess it was, and they, in fact, started to fracture kind of after the success of Dark Side of the Moon, because before that, they were kind of struggling after the losses said they were kind of just trying to reclaim like what type of band they were going to be now and trying to get to commercial success because they didn't quite capture that after piper at the gates of dawn it took them quite a few albums to get there mm -hmm. and they finally hit a formula with dark side of the moon which is probably still a big seller to this day i mean it was on the charts for about 15 years mm -hmm. i mean that's pretty big and they got to that point, and then it's like, where do we go from here? Do we just kind of keep on going? Like, do we really want more success, or we just kind of keep it going? 
And so they kind of didn't know what to do at that point. They were starting to run out of ideas musically at that point. They thought about at first doing an album with just household objects like spoons and rubber bands. And you can find a couple of tracks on the Dark Side of the Moon in the Immersion Edition where they kind of experiment with this. Mm-hmm. If you notice at the beginning of Shine On You Crazy Diamond where it kind of has like a weird wine glass effect, that part of the song is where it was going to be part of the Abandoned Objects album. But they decided that was too weird, so they decided not to go with that. And they came up with the three new songs, uh, Shine On You Crazy Diamond, You Gotta Be Crazy, and Raving and Drooling. Now, they were fine with those songs and they played them on the 1974 tours for their first set. But Roger Waters wanted to do a little bit more than just those three songs. And the other guys were tired and just wanted to release it as it was. Mm -hmm. But wisely, Roger decided to scrap You Gotta Be Crazy and Raving and Drooling and came up with Have a Cigar, Wish You Were Here, and Welcome to the Machine and split Shine On You Crazy Diamond into two parts and created the prog rock album masterpiece. Yes. I want to ask you, how did you get into Pink Floyd? I got into Pink Floyd. Uh, my family had a friend named Michael Kahn. He was really big into Pink Floyd, and this was 1987. I was about three years old. They just came out with an album called A Momentary Lapse of Reason. Mm-hmm. I don't really have knowledge of what music I was listening to at three years old. Maybe I was listening to like Sesame Street and stuff like that. I have no recollection, but apparently my parents tell me that we went to Mike Khan's house just to hang out and he was playing the new CD and the song Dogs of War came on and they noticed I kind of went into like a trance. Like this music really touched me, like it just got to me. And that's one of the first bands I really remember liking. And then you did a deep dive into in their back catalog or? As I got older, um, I started getting more tapes from like my parents, like Delicate Sound of Thunder, which was the live album that came out after that. And then started getting more cassettes like Dark Side of the Moon and Metal and Animals and The Final Cut. As I got older, I started getting even more and more into them. Uh, going back to Piper at the Gates of Dawn and some of those more of those albums are kind of a little bit harder to get into. But if you kind of take the time to listen to them, you might actually like them. Mm-hmm. It just kind of became a big fan from there. It was, Pink Floyd's like one of those bands that it's always been with me, it seems like. I don't remember a time where Pink Floyd wasn't in my life. Apparently there was, but I don't remember that time. Right. These albums, and I'm specifically going to key in on like four or five albums of theirs, but I know that some of my favorite work is on Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, Animals, The Wall, and The Final Cut. Like that's my Pink Floyd, if you will. And it was also the time that I was coming into being a teenager and high school and all that stuff. So these these albums really resonated with me at the time, you know, from feeling like you're an outcast to the whole political system and just how people are, right? And there's a certain sense of alienation that you have when you're a teen, right? Yeah. And my friend Bill Mertz and I would just pour over this stuff like it was some sort of lost tome from the Bible that we needed to investigate. 
listening to Pink Floyd back then and having the album artwork, it was not something that ones just took casually. I mean, when 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 we would get an album, we would put that thing down in front of us and we'd open it up and look if, if a poster was attached or read the lyrics and we noticed the art direction what are they trying to say what's going on here are there backwards messages i mean <laughs> it was a complete experience right yeah and billy and i were both art students so this was like a hundred times cooler as a result because the entire art class would kind of focus on this stuff you know what i mean and uh you mentioned that pink floyd has put out these uh immersive editions right but everything about them at this time was an immersion experience right right this album animals was released on january 23rd 1977 we in america had just gotten through the bicentennial I can tell you that that in 1977, we wound up getting red, white, and blue carpet because it was on sale because in 1977, nobody wanted that stuff. And <laughs> my bedroom wound up being a red, white, and blue carpet. So kind of nauseating. <laughs> I guess you could just get away with that in the 70s. It's That's the time period to do something like that. Well, I mean, you take a look at any TV show from the 70s. Everything was white yellow green and brown like that seemed to be the thing right those those colors so at the time as surreal as a red white and blue carpet seemed it it, it, it at least was different than yeah. orange brown gold green white so that was the 70s folks it's real <laughs> so animals is the 10th studio album by Pink Floyd, and it's available on the Harvest and Columbia Records, the original edition. This was recorded at the band's Britannia Row Studios in London through 1976, and it was self-produced by the band. The album received positive reviews from critics and was commercially successful, reaching number two and three in the UK and the US, respectively. It just seemed like this album always existed. Like when I was getting into Pink Floyd at this time during my teen years, it just seemed like there was this three albums that just seemed to come out at the same time. Back then, albums came out with much greater frequency than today, right? So it just seemed like when you were discovering a band, you had all these options and you tried to figure out which made sense. And there was no internet, so you couldn't, you actually had to flip the album over and look at the fine print to see when this one came out. Oh, this one came out after that one. And, you know, if you were lucky, you might bump into somebody at a record store that, like, knew this stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did not have the internet. So uh, Animals is a concept album. As with most Pink Floyd albums are. Mm -hmm. What would you say this one is about to you? I would say this one's just kind of a comment on the class system. You got dogs, which are pretty much, it deals with business types, trying to climb up that business ladder, kind of doing no matter what it takes. Mm -hmm. You got the pigs that kind of are on the top of everything. They just kind of control, they just want to control everything that's going on with society and play by their own rules. And then you have sheep that are just, you know, just kind of doing what they do and just will do what they're told and just, just kind of go with the grain. Not try to be an individual, not try to, you know, stick out from the norm, just keep their nose to the grind. Now, a lot of people say that 
this is loosely based on George Orwell's political fable, Animal Farm. Do you believe that? I would believe it, even though I haven't really read Animal Farm. We never really had to read that in high school. Oh, you missed out, man. I dug it. And it's weird because it deals with everything from Stalinism to capitalism and all this stuff. And really, I think we're still dealing with this today, right? Oh, yeah, we're still dealing with it. I mean, I was listening to it today, and it's just nothing's really changed, it seems like. It definitely applies to real life today. Yeah. Like, for example, everyone says you should be happy because the economy's doing great. But when you have to work two and a half jobs and not have uh, full-time benefits at any of them, yeah, everyone's working two or three jobs. Everyone's working a side hustle and the the dogs keep stepping on the sheep, right? And so it's, it's, it's very much still happening. It's, not much has changed, right? Yeah, that's that's sad, really. I don't know when it's going to change. Well, we hope it changes for the better. I know. So Pink Floyd, at this point, David Gilmour on lead guitars, lead vocals, Roger Waters on lead vocals, uh, harmony vocals, and he also played bass and some guitar. Nick Mason on drums. Richard Wright, who played keyboards, and he left after this, right? Actually, he stayed on a bit for The Wall, but he actually mm-hmm. got fired during sessions for The Wall. Yeah. That actually helped them out later on because when they did The Wall tour, they lost money. The full band members did, Nick Mason, David Gilmore, and Roger Waters. Rick didn't have to worry about that because he was just a session player. He didn't lose any money for that tour, so... Yeah, it says here that tensions within the band during the production later culminated in keyboardist Richard Wright leaving. Additional musicians, we've got Snowy White, who played the guitar solo on the 8-track version of Pigs on the Wing, which is a completely different mix than what you got on the album or the cassette at the time, right? Yeah. And as we said earlier, there were no singles released from this album, and it was promoted through the band's In the Flesh tour. And a lot of the problems that they ran into during the In the Flesh tour, it actually inspired The Wall because uh, Roger Waters had some problems with the the crowd during the tour. Yeah, I've read reports just like from any books about bands in the 70s, and it always seems like the crowds were rowdy at that time for just any show. I, I don't know what the deal was with Firecrackers back in the 70s. Did you experience anything like that at concerts you went to back in the day or Well, you got to understand that there was, you know, from the the late 60s where prior to the late 60s the the pop band would show up, they'd play their show. It would last about 25 minutes, 45 minutes, 2 hours if it was a package deal, right? But like you look at like the Beatles, for example, they got on, did like a 25 to 40 minute set and got off. That was it. They were gone and that was that. And then we got into things where concerts became a cultural experience, right? As right. volume got louder and crowds got bigger, it would be nothing for someone to set off firecrackers or something like that. It would be no big deal. But at this point, things were changing in the music scene so the punk rock was becoming a thing right yeah you actually saw johnny rotten of the sex pistol who who wore a pink floyd t-shirt but he had the words i hate written above it it became cool to not dig the dinosaurs right and 
Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd were now deemed dinosaur rock. <laughs> which mileage will vary, right? Yeah. And the funny thing is Johnny Rotten actually liked some of those progressive rock bands. Like, he was a big fan of uh, Fander Graf Generator and Magma. Mm. And he actually liked some of the early Pink Floyd stuff, which I think quite a few of the punk bands did. I think they just didn't like their 70s stuff. We've talked about how looking at the Pink Floyd album cover, it was an event, right? It was it was an art director's dream, I would imagine, to have to work on this album or a nightmare. And it being a concept album, focusing on the social political conditions of the late 70s Britain, which really is not something that you can, you know, dance too easily, right? It's it's not <laughs> it's not it's not on American Bandstand's radar record. So the album cover was a very interesting concept, and from what I understand, Hypnosis worked on it, but it was under the direction of Roger Waters once again, right? Yes, that's correct. They actually came up with a couple of designs. Uh, there was a design where it was a kid walking in on his parents, uh, wrestling, as we say, in bed, and it was called Animals. Yeah, and I'm glad Roger they didn't go not, with that. I know, that would have been bad. Uh, so he didn't really like those concepts. And one day he was driving back to his house from the studio. And on the way to his house was the uh, Battersea Power Station. It's like, wow, this this would be a kind of a cool idea to have this on the album, sort of. So he kind of came up with the idea to maybe have a pig flying over this power station. And that's where they came up with that idea. And from what it says here, a view of the building was chosen for the cover image, and the band commissioned German company Ballon Fabrique, who had previously constructed Zeppelin airships, and Australian artist Jeffrey Shaw to build a 12-meter, 40-feet pork balloon known as Algae. So if you want to know the name of the pig floating on the album cover, it's Algae. The balloon was inflated with helium and maneuvered into position on the 2nd of December 1976, and they hired a marksman who was ready to fire if the pig escaped. And if they would have lost control, there would have been this pig just floating all over. (laughs) (laughs) And so there was a marksman there in case it escaped. Because of the weather, it pushed things back, and the band's manager, Steve O'Rourke, neglected to book the marksman for the second day of shooting, and the balloon actually broke free of its moorings and disappeared from view. It's been said that the pig flew over Heathrow Airport, resulting in panic and canceled flights. Here's Pink Floyd drummer Nick Mason with the actual story of the animal's cover photo. Well, uh, a decision was made to take this very artistic photograph of the of a large pig flying over Battersea Power Station. And so the large pig was built and inflated and taken down to Battersea. Uh, and there was a crew of uh, riggers and inflators and everything else. And there was also a highly paid marksman whose job was to deflate the pig with a well-placed shot in the event of it escaping. We rigged the pig and the pig was sent up and the marksman stood there with his gun uh, but unfortunately, for various different reasons, I think the the way the sky looked and the weather and everything else, the, we didn't actually get the shot we wanted that day. So the next morning, everyone reported for work, uh, with the exception of the marksman, who <laughs> got stuck in traffic somewhere <laughs> or overslept. 
Anyway, by the time the marksman got there, the pig was at 20,000 feet and heading for Dover. Um, and uh, there were a lot of reports, some true, some less true, of uh, warnings being given over the radio because the pig was actually on the flight path into Heathrow. And there are even stories that actual airliners did spot the pig, although I think that's unlikely. Um, there was a, a police helicopter did give chase, but the pig was actually... <laughs> it actually was climbing like an F-14 at the time. And... Um, it was some time later, I think, it reached a certain height and then the various safety valves opened and it, it began a gentle descent and uh, landed in a field in Kent. Pilots also spotted the pig in the air. It eventually landed in Kent and was recovered by a local farmer who was apparently furious that it had scared his cows. That's kind of meta, right? Yeah. <laughs> the balloon was recovered and filming continued for yet a third day. But as the early photographs of the power station were considered better, the image of the pig was later superimposed onto those. So, algae. <laughs> Great name for a pig. Yeah. So, like I said, it was just one of those album covers. And, and I love that they used a handwritten font instead of some generated font. And uh, I also loved, and that was uh, Nick Mason's handwriting, right? Yep. And I loved that not only was the album cohesive in its look and everything, but if you looked at the stickers on the actual label of the actual album, it, the artwork continued there. So it was, it really was an immersive experience in itself. So, Yeah, I think you had like a sheep on one side and you had the dog on another side. Mm -hmm. I think I would have to pull out my vinyl to check. Not a bad thing to do. So let's get into a track by track. Let's kick it off with Pigs on the Wing. Part one. So the album starts. What are your thoughts? Uh, this is a lovely song. It's a nice little acoustic ballad. Uh, you'd think maybe listening to this song, maybe this will be a nice little pleasant album. You know, it's just some pleasant animals, you know, like dogs and pigs. You got three different pigs that they're going to be talking about. And you got sheep. Yeah, but this isn't like old McDonald's farm, right? There's some darkness ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Very cynical and uh, very true. You know, what do you like most about Pigs on the Wing? Um, 
I really like the lyrics. Roger Waters is a hell of a lyricist. And I mean, I like those those Gilmore led albums from 87, 94, but you can tell that they're lacking a bit lyrically. And this Roger Waters, he's just a great lyricist. And basically this song was just kind of it's kind of, you know, kind of describing maybe describing himself like in this class. And he's not really exactly a dog he's not exactly a pig he's not exactly a sheep and he's just kind of trying to shelter himself from the storm a bit that's kind of the vibe i get from those lyrics on pigs on the wing you know i mentioned being a teen during this time right yeah and this part where it says if you didn't care what happened to me and if i didn't care what happened to you this to me summed up being a teenager <laughs> in uh, Andover, Ohio, back in 1977. We just felt like everybody was against us and watching us, you know what I mean? Yeah, I kind of related more to these lyrics when I became a teen, as opposed to when I was like five, when I was first hearing this album. Our next track is Dogs, and written by Waters and Gilmore, 17 minutes and six seconds. So we will not be playing the whole thing. But here we are. <laughs> this is to me where uh, it kind of sets up what's going on for the rest of the album, right? And yeah. uh, we've got David Gilmore on lead vocals on this one. dogs it's one of their masterpieces it's one of my favorite pink floyd songs and it's just fantastic throughout it's the only track on the album where you really hear david gilmore sing most of the other tracks it's roger waters doing the lead vocals and funnily enough this is the only track that roger waters is actually really playing bass on uh david gilmore plays bass on pigs and then on cheap mm-hmm I love how it starts out with the you got to be crazy, you got to have a real need, and how you've got to look out for everything. You've 
constantly got to be aware of what's going on. And after a while, you'll be able to do this while you smile. You know what I mean? You'll be able to uh, shake people's hands and stab them in the back at the same time. Yeah, it really goes with the business aspect. Like, you got to be nice to people. But, I mean, if you're trying to get more money and just trying to get ahead in life, sometimes you got to stab people in the back. That's not a very nice thing to do. Mm -hmm. I love the bit where it says, deaf, dumb, and blind. You just keep on pretending that everyone's expendable and no one has a real friend. And it seems to you the thing to do would be to isolate the winner and everything's done under the sun. And you believe at heart, everyone's a killer. Wow, that is uh, sad but true. And yeah our capitalism is all that matters kind of a world right yeah it's sad it shouldn't really be that way but that's what it is it seems like the thing is is that it's not sustainable by itself you know yeah like we look at you know social darwinism right even the most upright conservative says well we shouldn't do this and that but then even the farmers need to be bailed out right and we do things to keep people afloat and bailouts and stuff like that it, it just seems like depending on the party in charge socialism is okay <laughs> if it's something you want right so yeah but this is really as you mentioned uh the only real vocal part other than some background stuff that david gilmore did now he was he was having a child at the time right Yes, he was having a child at the time and didn't really participate in the sessions as much as Roger Waters was at this point. But David Gilmour is very prevalent on this album. Some of his best guitar work is on this album, mm -hmm. especially Dogs. The guitar work on this is phenomenal. He's playing a Telecaster on this song. On the other songs, he's playing his usual Stratocaster. There's some great harmony solos in this song. Before the end, when you lose control, and after the second verse, also he has some blazing weak guitar solos in the first half and on the second half of the song. Roger Waters discussing the sound of dogs. And the concept of the album, I mean, the, the, the sound of the album is certainly um, a lot different from anything else that you've ever done. Is this something that happens 
in the studio that you know the, the raunchy aspect of it sort of changes and, and becomes something else when you when you start working on it do you see what I mean? That it, it, it no, assumes its shape. So, certainly not for dogs. That was it was very clear what dogs was going to be like, except for the middle section, you know, with the synthesizers and the and the dogs through the vocoder. You know, that bit in the middle of dogs. Uh, it was we were quite clear what that was going to sound like. Really, I know. You know, there are obviously things that developed in the studio, like I don't know the sound behind the guitar solos. Those two kind of fairly up-tempo solos of Dave's. There's one in the first half and one in the second half with lots of tom-toms in the background. You know, those sounds developed while we were recording it, but basically we knew what the arrangement was going to be, more or less, anyway, and we knew what it was going to sound like before we started, because we'd been doing it live with slightly different words and in a shorter form than it is now mm. for a long time. And uh, the same with sheep. Pigs as had never been done before, and that did change a lot because when we started recording, it was only you know a song sung to a strummed acoustic guitar, so that grew a lot in the recording. But obviously, when something is called pigs, you know, and it's got a big oink on the beginning of it, it's gonna, you know, that. And when it's got, and when the lyrics are like they are, and it's, it has to sound kind of like it does. That you can't, you know. as this was one of the first albums that didn't have a lot of input from a writing standpoint neither Mason nor Wright contributed as much as they had on previous albums either. Animals was the first Pink Floyd album to not contain a composer credit for Wright as well. Yeah. We see that Roger Waters is really coming into the role that he would inhabit for the next few albums, right? Even though you still had significant contributions from Gilmore, you could kind of start seeing from this album that Roger is becoming really the main driving force of this band at this point. Mm-hmm. It's becoming less of a four for all and more for one for me at this right. point. So let's move on to the third track, which is us actually flipping the album over right now, right? <laughs> yep. So you got two songs on side one, folks. That was albums. So there you go. So side two starts with pigs, three different ones. (laughs) 
What does Pigs, three different ones, mean to you, Michael? This is a very heavy song, and it's a nice song to listen to. Like, if somebody of the 40s pissed you off, this is a good song to listen to. It really gets the aggression out. Two of the verses, um, they're not really specifically targeted at anybody. I don't think Roger Waters has ever said who they were kind of attributed to, but the last verse, Hey You White House, was pretty much against Mary Whitehouse, who was the Tipper Gore, pretty much, of the UK. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of musicians didn't like her, and I can definitely see why. Yeah, it actually says, Mary, you're nearly a treat. Mary, you're nearly a treat, but you're really a cry. And it does mention White House by name, so... Side two of Animals starts off with a track called Pigs, three different ones. And one of the verses mentions anti-pornography campaigner... Mary Whitehouse. I kept throwing that verse about Mary Whitehouse away. I've been throwing that verse away for about 18 months. But I never managed to write anything else, you know, and I kept coming back to it and changing it a bit. And it worried me a lot all the time because I thought really, you know, she doesn't really merit it. She doesn't really merit mention, you know. Except that in a way she does, you know. And I think uh, the reason maybe that I didn't want to do it use it even though i'd written i obviously did want to do it otherwise i'd have never written it in the first place but the worries that i had about it i was going to say that i didn't think that she really merited the uh, attention the attention no well she doesn't really merit the attention but you know she is really a cry i mean she is a terribly frightened woman isn't she don't you think frightened yeah terrified and why does she make such a fuss about everything if not if she's not motivated by fear? Why doesn't she just, you know, quite get on with she's frightened, isn't she, that we're all being perverted? This is one that FM really kind of played this quite a bit, wouldn't you say? I think this is like the only song from this album I've actively heard on FM radio. I don't think I've ever heard any of the other songs. On classic album radio format, you you will hear bits of this album, but again, there was nothing that was really uniquely mixed for a single. So, But it was also one of those things where if you needed a bathroom break, an 11-minute and 26-second song might be good. So, <laughs> This album does have really long songs, but I don't think I ever get bored of any of these songs. I don't either. Time seems to go by really quickly with this album. It's not like, yes, we're, if you're listening to Tales from Typographic Oceans, that you could probably take a bathroom break, uh, go eat lunch, and go get your mail, and it's still going to be on the same song, and you still have like 15 minutes left, and it feels like an hour. Mm-hmm. Do you have a particular highlight from Pigs? I really like the lyrics. Um, I really like the talk box guitar solo that David Gilmore does in the middle section. gives a really cool effect on it. 
I love yeah. the energy of this song. It's very hard driving, hard rock guitar that you don't really hear all the time in Pink Boy music. It, would you consider Animals their heaviest album? That's tough because there's parts of the wall that are really heavy. You know, it's always been kind of in there, right? But perhaps overall, yeah, it's 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 more concentrated in a sense. You know what I mean? Whereas the wall spread out over two albums, right? Yeah. It's almost like, you know, when people say Beatles didn't play hard music, but if you listen to the White Album, there's a lot of loud amplification going on, right? Everything from Helder Skelter to your blues and so on and so forth. It's a very loud album, but then you've got things like uh, Martha, My Dear and Julia. And I think that those almost get in the way of the album being considered a hard rock album, right? Yeah. The same thing happens on the wall, right? Because there's so many different colors and sounds and speeds and tempos. and uh, But I would say that this is their most concentrated hard album. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, coming off of punk kind of being prevalent, you could kind of sense that too. Like maybe they're trying to prove something to that crowd. Like, hey, we can rock out a bit. We're not... We're not that old of dinosaurs. You can have some of us around. Right. Our next track, track four on the album, the second song on side two is Sheep. Thank you. 
Bagford, your thoughts on Sheep? Love this track. I love the bass intro of this, which kind of gives you a Doctor Who type feel to it. It sounds very similar to it. Mm-hmm. I love how the vocals, like where Roger Waters is kind of saying a note, like kind of goes right into a synthesizer note, and then you have a. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Here's Roger Waters discussing how he approached writing the lyrics for this album. Actually, yes, maybe you're right. Maybe the, certainly the lyrics are easier to understand. But they're not... Why I say it's less direct is because they are not a direct expression of my feelings as the lyrics on which you were, were here were. They're more of them anyway are kind of put into a third person, you know, and about um, more distant events. Particularly something like sheep, right, which has got nothing to do with me at all, really. It's a, it's a kind of weird tract, of a kind of weird, slightly jumbled, you know, tract. It's a kind of admonition and uh, a warning, and but it's not really, you know, because it's so confused. It's a song, a song about revolution, Nick. Revolution. Yeah, that's what that's about, mate. And we see religion rearing its head as a theme. He says, I've looked over Jordan and I've seen things are not what they seem, to later them having a version of the Lord is my shepherd, Psalms 23, you know. Talks about how you're being led to slaughter, basically, and how beautiful it is. What do you think of that? It's a neat touch, them putting that in the song. Kind of get a nice uh, image of a sheep maybe kicking a dog's ass or a pig's ass. And we'll make the bugger's eyes water. And it, to me, kind of shows how capitalism, which doesn't really seem to care about people, love, or even if there's a god, except when it can be exploited to keep poor people poor. Yeah, they they really like doing that. It's It's really bad. It's a toolbox that's being used to this day where don't question the leader, don't question those in charge because you should be a dutiful person and God will take care of you if you you have faith. And not speaking out against religion, but I'm speaking out against its use by people in power. Faith is a very beautiful thing to those who have it. And not knocking faith, I'm knocking those who would exploit it. Yeah, and I've I don't like that exploitation of faith that way. I mean, I'm not the most religious person. I mean, I pray sometimes. I mean, it's a good thing to have some faith and, you know, be nice to your fellow man. I don't like it when faith is kind of exploited and just kind of made, you know, to get people in power what they want and just kind of put people in the fear. And that's what I really don't like about some organized religion. And that's why I hate when people with power kind of use religion against people. That's sheep. And again, there's not a dud on this album. The next track, track five, Pigs on the Wing, if you're on the album, it is side two, song three. And this is the end of the album, and it's called Pigs on the Wing.
I love how it almost redeems the first track on the album, which basically says, if you didn't care what happened to me and I didn't care for you, it now says, you know that I care what happens to you and I know that you care for me, so I don't feel alone or the weight of the stone now that I've found someone safe to bury my bone and any fool knows a dog needs a home, a shelter from pigs on the wings. And that to me, like, when you found a friend or found somebody that you could trust in your teenage years, it meant everything, right? Yeah. And as I get older, it still applies. <laughs> now let's talk about this track musically. What do you think of it? Um, it's, it's about the same musically as Pigs on the Wing Part 1. I know there's not much to say about it musically. It's still great musically. It's about the same as Part 1. Well, it's hard for me to think of this album as an album in the sense that it's fragments, right? It's this piece, yeah. it's that piece. Because to me, it's it's one long thing. Yeah. It's that cohesive, and it seems like, you know, there's the old saying that it's greater than the sum of its parts, but there's it's all equal here. The whole story is there. Do you feel that there's any part of the album that loses its way? I don't think so. Not even during that keyboard solo in Dogs, where it seems to go on for a bit. Like, I used to be bored at that part. Now I find it quite interesting. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of uh, love that we both have for this album. And uh, there's this rare animal that's out there on our record collection, right? <laughs> uh, amongst your CDs or MP3s or, what, or however you choose to enjoy music. Is this a perfect album? Yes, I would say this is a perfect album. There's nothing I would want to get rid of off this album. The album cover is perfect. It works very well as a concept. If you took something out, it'd feel a bit weird and it wouldn't be perfect. So this is a perfect album for me. It doesn't get played on the radio that much. It still has a nice impact for me when I listen to it. I'm not like, oh, God, I'm sick of this song. It, it's just a perfect album for me. I can listen to it any time. Mm -hmm. I would have to agree. I'm going to give it a perfect album score, too. It's got to be a 10. It's, it is a classic for a reason, right? Yeah, maybe 11 for me. Mm -hmm. 
Now, as a bit of a treat for folks, we're going to play something that not everyone's heard. And this is only found on the 8-track, which not all of us have 8-tracks anymore, right? But back in the day, you would get an occasional different version of an album, right? I mean, if you were lucky, your favorite song wasn't cut into two tracks. You know what I'm talking about? Like if it, if you started at the end of track one, sometimes they would just have a song fade out and click in the middle and then come back on the other side of it, right? That was horrible. Yep. <laughs> the band had asked Snowy White to uh, join them on future tours. At one point, Roger Waters and Nick Mason inadvertently erased one of Gilmore's completed guitar solos. Snowy White was asked to record a solo for Pigs on the Wing. And it was not left on the vinyl release, but it was included on the 8-track cartridge version. So let's check it out here. If you didn't care What happened to me And I didn't care For you We would zigzag away Through the bottom and pain Occasionally glancing up through the rain Wondering which of the bugs to blame And watching For pigs on the wing Somewhere safe to bury my bones 
And any fool knows a dog needs a home. A shelter from pigs on the wing. Have you ever heard that before? Ah, uh, yes, I've heard it before. So it's on YouTube, folks. You can find it if you want to hear it independent of this. Or you can hunt up the 8-track and buy an 8-track and get an equalizer and set of speakers, and you're you're in business, right? <laughs> yep. You know, we were talking earlier about the bands in the Flesh Tour, which began in Dortmund on the same day that the album was released, and the tour continued throughout the continental Europe in February and the UK in March and the United States for three weeks in April and May and another three weeks in the United States in June and July. And... A lot of promoters uh, would use the pig <laughs> to uh, try to make the band feel welcome or in promotion. And uh, the pig algae became an inspiration for a number of pig themes used throughout. Um, an inflatable pig was floated over the audience at the shows and during each performance was replaced with a cheaper but explosive version. On one occasion, the mild propane gas was replaced with an oxygen acetylene mixture producing a massive and dangerous explosion and one of the promoters Marcel Avram from Germany presented the band with a piglet in Munich only for it to leave a trail of broken mirrors and feces across its mirrored hotel room leaving Pink Floyd's manager O'Rourke to deal with the resulting fallout so that sounds like fun <laughs> promoters and this is, of course, from the font of all knowledge, but uh, Wikipedia. It says the band was joined by familiar figures such as Dick Perry and Snowy White, but relations within the band became fraught. Waters took to arriving at the venues alone, departing as soon as each performance was over, and on one occasion, Wright flew back to England, threatening to leave the band. The size of the venues was also an issue. In Chicago, the promoters claimed to have sold out the 67,000-person regular capacity of Soldier Field, after which ticket sales would have been ended. But Rogers and O'Rourke were suspicious. They hired a helicopter photographer and attorney and discovered that the actual attendance was 95,000, a shortfall to the band of $640,000. So they were wise to do that. The end of the tour was a low point for David Gilmore, who felt that the band had had now achieved the success the members had originally sought and that there was nothing else that they could look forward to. In July of 77, on the final date of the Montreal Olympic Stadium, a small group of noisy and excited fans in the front row of the audience irritated Waters to such an extent that he spat at one of them. He was not the only person who felt depressed about playing to such large audiences, as Gilmore refused to perform a third encore. Here's Roger Waters. And that idea arose specifically out of the Animals tour. Because we were playing in stadiums almost exclusively uh, for the first time, and uh, it became clear to me after doing one or two uh, from the conversation backstage and from the response in front of the stage and for the things that happened afterwards and from the injuries and the this and the that and the general vibe I got that this was no longer musicians 
writing and uh, performing songs and uh, well it was but that was no longer important what had become important was the gross it really upset me over a period we were i don't know playing stadiums for six or seven weeks and it really started to get to me and the last one we did was in montreal in the olympic stadium 90,000 people stretching forever into the distance chain link fencing in front of the stage kids on a, you know apparently on some kind of um, pavlovian dog trip of uh, screaming their heads off from the moment that we appeared on stage till the moment we left nobody listening well not nobody i'm sure there were a lot of people in the audience who were trying to listen very difficult for an audience to pay attention to what's going on and what was important and I've been to lots of stadium shows since, and with the exception, I think, of Live Aid, they're all the same. What's important, uh, you know, is the demagogy, is the worship of the very rich people. Uh, I mean, rich in, in terms of having earned a lot of money, but also maybe rich in terms of the way the audience perceives how it must be to have written such and such a song or to be that popular or whatever. It's the worship of, of, um, of idols from afar and I find it distressing. Roger Waters later spoke with producer Bob Ezrin and told him of his sense of alienation on the In the Flesh tour and how he sometimes felt like building a wall to separate himself from the audience. The spitting incident would later form the basis of a new concept, which would eventually become one of the band's most successful album releases, The Wall. But that's another album. <laughs> so it's interesting. We can kind of see historically where the band would wind up, right? Yeah. And we also see where Roger Waters is kind of in charge and it's going to be his way or it's not going to be. Yep. How many times do you think you've listened to this album over your life? Uh, it's probably got to be in the uh, triple digits by now. I would have to say. Hell, that was that summer, you know, <laughs> that it came out. <laughs> so I want to dedicate this episode to my friend, uh, William Billy Mertz. I know you're out there. And uh, we used to sit in his stepfather's den that had the really cool big stereo in it. And we would just go through all these albums, right? Every album was like something from the gods or an aliens dropped it off we had to study this stuff and it, it helped getting through my teens uh, it made it a lot easier right yeah it sounds glorious really just hanging out listening to a good sound system having all the albums at your disposal and you can just zone out and just really get into that album we didn't need drugs man it, the music was it you know what i mean yeah, I never, I never had to take any drugs. You just go on the trip, just listening to the music and the music of Pink Floyd. That's just really great for that because they make good, solid concept albums that you know nothing feels out of place when you listen to them. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show today, Michael. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to do this with me and bringing it to us. Uh, this is part of my record collection. I know it's part of yours, and it's nice going through the record stacks with you and what's going on here in the record crate today. So thank you for coming on Pop today. My pleasure. Do you think that Pop is too random? And what do you think about that? 
like the pop podcast because we talk about everything. I don't think it is too random because I mean that's pretty much what the show's supposed to be about. It's just about you know pop culture in general. It's not you're not going into a specific thing. It's not just talking about music or just talking about movies or talking about a certain band. It's just everything under the sun. Well, I'm glad you enjoy it, and I'm glad you're along for the ride, and I'm glad you're part of this today. I want to thank you for coming on the show, and we will see you on another one of these. All right, sounds good. I'd be happy to be back on another one. You want to tell them where they can find you on the socials? Uh, yes. Um, I'm very active on the Twitter. It's just a simple Twitter handle, at Michael Bagford. It's all one word. And pretty much my big gimmick is I do an album a day, and it's kind of in conjunction with the Rock Solid podcast. It is the Rock Solid album a day in 2019. Not sure what album of the day is going to be today. Yesterday's album was Camel, a live record. So this gives you kind of a time period when I'm recording this. And pretty much I interact with other podcasts. And I've actually been on some other podcasts. I've been on the Fun Size show with the great host Ken Mills. <laughs> I've contributed liner notes to a couple of rock solid episodes, uh, namely the Genesis and Ecstasy episode. I'm going to be on a an episode of everything I learned from movies, talking about a Nick Cage film that's not great. Ooh, which one? Uh, Trespass. Oh, okay. It's kind of <laughs> not very good, but. And I've been on a couple of episodes of movies that rock, namely the Tom Lee and John and Yoko Above Us Only Sky. And I'll be on the upcoming six-pack Pods and Sods for Queen with Patrick Francis and Eric Miller. I look forward to that. That's going to be fantastic. Well, thank you for spending some time with us today, Michael, and um, just appreciate you and what you're doing. Anytime I'm on Twitter and I see your album of the day thing, I tend to share it. So thank you. You're quite welcome, Ken. All right. We'll see you all on the next PopCast or KenCast. I should just call it the KenCast, but your KenCast. That's Kentertainment. Anyway, <laughs> we will see you all in the next episode. Thank you for listening. Say see ya. See ya. Now, as long as it recorded, everything's good. <laughs> that's good. And that's our show. Pop is an online, nonprofit pop culture audio fanzine made for fans by fans. Any samples of music, TV, or movies heard here remain the property of their owners. Pop, a pop culture podcast, is not affiliated with any products we review or discuss. Opinions heard here belong to the people who express them and may not reflect the views of the pop staff. If you like something that you heard, buy it at your local record, video, or bookstores, or wherever pop is found. If you enjoy the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm your announcer, Christine Wolf, saying whatever you do, make sure it pops. Say goodnight, Dick. Hi, everyone. Christine Wolf here. You might know me as a podcast host or announcer, or by my formal title, Christine the Button Queen. But I have a secret identity. I'm an independent insurance agent. That's right. It's nonstop excitement in my world, and protecting people's most important business and personal assets is a big part of it. 
With clients from coast to coast, it doesn't matter whether you're in Clarksville, Rockford, Gotham City, or a galaxy far, far away. I can help you. Give me a call for your free quote. If you're a business owner or decision maker, let's talk about an insurance portfolio custom fit for your needs. And on the personal side, whether you own your home or rent, have a driving record that's squeaky clean or not quite the best, I've got you covered. Oh, and about those KISS collectibles you have? Yep, I can make sure those are protected too. I've put together a team with decades of experience of risk management and analysis, and my relationships with dozens of insurance companies means that I can put together an insurance program tailor-made for you. So give me a call today at 314-657-2995. That's 314-657-2995. Or email me at christinewolf at cjthomas.com, or you can even PM me on Facebook. I'd love to hear from you and get the chance to run some free quotes for you and earn your business.